Hey gang, welcome back. I am Stephanie Goss and this is the Uncharted Podcast. I'm super excited. This week, Andy and I are tackling a topic that I know I had to handle as a manager and from my conversations with my colleagues, this is something that is more common than you might think. So this week we are diving into how do we handle clients who make our team and or ourselves feel very uncomfortable in a creepy way. And uh, this is something that as you'll hear from my soapboxing during the episode, it's something I'm super passionate about. It's something I think we need to do a lot more talking about with our team. So I'm super excited for you guys to jump in and join us for this episode. And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie, so I creep goss. <laughs> oh, that's a perfect one so for today. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a good one bring for it, today. Bring it back old school. <laughs> yeah, old school indeed. I saw a, um, on my, you know, on your, on your phone, uh, the camera app like throws up stuff from like years ago. It's like 10 years ago, you took this picture. 14 years ago today when we're recording this uh, I graduated from vet school and it just it threw that picture up and I was just like good god 2008 was 14 years ago that's <laughs> bonkers and right I my my understanding of time as I've gotten older has gotten so warped uh 1980 is still 20 years ago in my yeah. mind and you know and it's just oh so weird so uh it was funny we were um I was doing a improv comedy show the first one back over the weekend. So I went back and, and did did comedy for the first time in a year. And we were kind of running through these bits and, um, you know, something from the 80s. And I was like, all right, cool. I've got some references to the 80s. And then it was like something from the 90s. I was like, oh, I got something from the 90s. Then it was something from the 2000s. And I was like, wait a second, what happened in the 2000s? And the 2000s <laughs> all like, basically 2000 in my mind is present. I'm like, that, that's now. That's like basically now. Uh, anyway, we did. Uh, we did. We talked about buying a James Blunt uh, album at uh, Starbucks. Uh, okay, <laughs> you're I was beautiful. Say, did, you ta- did you talk about boy bands? Like, that's, oh yeah, that's yeah. very applicable to the early 2000s. Yeah, no, that's exactly. Right. But it's just, it, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's all. It's all it. just the last 20 years are just one big smush. I'm like, oh, that's yesterday. Yeah, I know. My kids and I were having that conversation this weekend because I don't remember what they were talking about but they said something about 1990 and and riley was like that's like 30 years ago and jackson immediately corrected her and was like 31 years ago and in my head i'm like holy crap that was 31 years ago and i i I had to do a double take because i thought i did not graduate from high school so long ago and then i did the mental math and i was like holy i'm really old yeah no I'm, i'm right there with you Oh gosh, let's let's move our old bones forward in this podcast. We uh we have a a good one. Um, and as it turns out, this is um this is actually something I was talking about with a friend recently, and it turns out that you got asked a really similar question when you were lecturing this weekend. So I'm excited to uh, to dive into this. I stumbled one. through it. I've had time to think about it now. Usually people ask me questions <laughs> in lectures, and I just go, "Oh yeah," and I just say some stuff, and then uh then you know six hours later, I go, "Oh." I shouldn't. I, this is how I should have said that. But, so hopefully, uh, hopefully so what I say now will be better anybody. than what I said yesterday. <laughs> anybody who was listening to Andy's lecture yesterday, uh, this is take two. <laughs> you're like, that, yeah, you're like, that's not what he said. Yeah, no, this is me after a couple hours of thinking about it. Uh, so we were talking about um, 
what do we do when you have a client who is making your team and or you feel really uncomfortable in kind of a creepy way? And the scenario for my friend was that um, this is a client who seems to take polite behavior or um, the team being nice to them and uh, turn that into flirting. And so um, some of the examples they were giving me is that uh, the client would say, oh, well, it's really nice to see you again with an emphasis on the really or um, say things like, thank you so much, sweetheart, or sexy or beautiful. And um, in a way that definitely doesn't feel endearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend was saying this is someone that is their own age that they they know, and they're sure that he was trying to flirt. There was there was no possibility that it was anything other than flirting with the team. And uh, after the fact, they were talking and the team was like, well, yeah, he he makes us feel, you know, he's he's really creepy. He makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't want to deal with him. Can we just fire him? And so the conversation for my friend was, oh, I don't want to fire him because he hasn't done anything worth firing him for. However, I do want to make sure that the team feels safe and comfortable. And so we were talking about what do we do? And I just thought this is such a good one for you and I to kind of talk through. It is a good one. It's a good one because it's hard and it's Mm -hmm. deep in nuance and context, you know? Uh, Totally. The first thing is funny is, is really even talking about this. I think for a lot of people, especially especially men that listen to the podcast, it, it's a we. If the whole thing feels weird because you're like, I can't imagine being, in being so uncomfortable without someone doing something directly, you know that that I would consider not working with this person. I was like, well, that's it's just not the experience that that women in our society have. You know, it's just it's just yes. a different thing, and it, it's yeah. I just think that's why this is such an interesting question. You go, this is real. It is a real issue, and it just it affects different people very differently. And so yeah. it, that's that again. That's why you can't just be like, oh, I've never had a problem. Let's let's just go forward with my experience as the guiding experience. So yeah, it's I I'm really excited to sort of talk this through. I think the other thing I I certainly have heard it to to your point from bosses previously um particularly from older male bosses is well he's you know he's just being he's being nice he's being polite like you know it's a it's a southern charm thing and i think that there is there can be truth to that sure and there also is a very fine line between that and behavior that is harassing or unwanted or intimidating. And I think that that's, that fine line is kind of where we have to wrestle as managers and leaders in our practice. Yeah, the ones the ones that are interesting in my mind that I, that I find a little bit trickier even is when it is, uh, it's the old man who comes in and does it. Mm-hmm. Because when it's someone your own age, it's I think I'm more naturally take this seriously and go, okay, this person is misguided in mm-hmm. what they think. And then, but when is it, and I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had that this experience who's, you know, who's like, who's thinking of the little old man, you know, who yeah. is the one who oh, comes yeah. in, who is just super flirty and kind of touchy. And he's like, you're like, he can't be he's not serious. He can't be serious. Like, this is not a serious thing, but that doesn't right. make it okay. You know, yeah. either it's just, I think it's easy for people to blow that person off and go, well, what are you going to say to that guy that he needs to not, you know, not say these things? It's just, right. yeah, and I think I think a lot of us in, like, our respect for our elders and things like that, like, all these weird 
things come together to make this just feel really awkward uh, unless unless we're ready for it. Well, and so I think I think your point that you just made gets right to the heart of the headspace of this conversation, which is how do we decide what is inappropriate? And a lot of it has to do with our own personal feelings and the fact that all of us can feel differently mm-hmm. about the exact same situation, right? Right. Like I could put every member of my team in the exact same scenario and they're all going to have different perspectives on it. And that is the hard part about the headspace in this conversation is how do you cut through all of that and figure out where to start? Let's start in headspace. I think we're already starting to talk about that when we're talking about people's experiences are different Mm -hmm. and uh, people are going to react to this very differently. And that does make it hard, especially if you're a manager and your staff is saying to you, well, this person makes me feel uncomfortable. And you say, well, what did he say? And they go, he said, how are you? And you go, (laughs) what are you, what are you talking about? And they go, no, it's the way he he was like, how are you? And (laughs) what? Right. Uh, But that's real. And I I say that as a joke, but it's true is, you know, you, your staff is trying to tell you they don't feel comfortable and they can't really articulate why or they're not giving you something that on paper you go, yes, this is inappropriate. Uh, and mm-hmm. you might say, well, if I was in there, I would be flattered. Um, that might be how you feel. That's not how they feel. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and that's that is the important thing to know here is it's really not about how you feel. It truly is about recognizing that other people are going to feel different ways. And it's our job to provide them with a safe, harassment-free work environment, period. Yes. End of story. Yeah. And for so many of us, um, we think about when we think about our role as leaders in the practice and we think about our, our job duty, a lot of us will think about the fact that we want to provide a workplace free of harassment. We think about it internally. So we think about keeping sexual harassment and and really any form of harassment off the table within our own teams, right? But we also do have a duty to protect our team from outside harassment as well. It doesn't matter who the harasser is. Um, we are, are federally obligated, at least here in the United States, by a multitude of rules and regulations that say, look, this is your job. You have to provide a workplace that is free of harassment, regardless of who the harasser is. And that can be um, a hard thing for a lot of us in small businesses to think of, because we don't, we don't often filter setting up our workplace and um, setting up rules and policies with that big business lens. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us tend to think, well, we're a small business. So what does that, why, why do like, I get if you are, have a, a massive business and you're working with clients, um, you know, outside of the building and you're in environments where you're going out to work dinners and there could be situations where there's sexual harassment. Like that's where a lot of our heads often go. But the reality is that just because we're a small business doesn't mean that our, our business is any different from that big business. And this is where we need to kind of shift our our lens a little bit and look at it with some perspective for protecting the team as a, as a whole. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. It's um, It very much feels like a big business problem. Uh, and <laughs> it feels that way until it comes home and you have to deal yeah. with it and you go, oh, you know, it, you can't really tell the judge, uh, hey, you, you don't understand, we're a small business. Uh, it right. Doesn't, it doesn't work that <laughs> it doesn't way. Work that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's also, um, 
there there's a lot of gray area here that um, when we get into addressing this, where you say, okay, what are what is the objective here, right? Like, what do what do I need to accomplish? And let me just say, I don't know that there's a right answer. I, I can tell you what I think, but ultimately, I'm I. I would not argue with someone who disagreed with me strongly. Um, I would go, okay, I hear what you're saying. Objective for me in engaging with this situation is the staff needs to feel safe and they need to be not harassed. Okay, so I believe that that is the objective. I am not convinced, and I know some people don't like this, I am not convinced that correcting the behavior of the client is my objective or my responsibility. And I'm just and I'm rolling that around and I'm, I'm wondering if there's scenarios where I'm gonna wanna walk that back. But I just, you know, I'm my only relationship with this person is that they are a client. Now, if my employee is making clients feel uncomfortable, we are going to have that conversation for sure about changing that behavior. But if the client is coming in and making the staff un, uncomfortable, I don't know I don't know that it's on me to talk to that person specifically about their behavior as a requirement for uh, for moving forward. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to process both process that and think about it in the in the bigger context. I guess I guess here's here's what I'm saying. Um, I in Headspace. My thought for success is my people are not going to be my people are not going to be harassed and everybody's going to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And secondary to that, I would like to continue to serve this client and their patient. And that is, sure. again, in the situation, this person has not done anything that is obviously abusive or, you know, um, yeah, there's obviously abusive, right? This is the very much the situation where people go, I just get a creepy feeling from this person. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. different from this person said something wildly inappropriate to me. Right. Like that that's a different yep. scenario. So I'm not talking about this the the wildly inappropriate. I'm talking about this person is creepy. I guess mm-hmm. what I'm saying is I don't believe that I need to talk to this person about being creepy. If this does not manifest in a more direct way that gives me something uh to say. Okay. All right. Right. I I would probably, uh, I'm probably going to disagree with you, but yeah. I, but I, I reserve the right to get, to yeah, get we'll, into, we'll get into how the... do we deal with it to like talk about the practical because maybe, um, maybe it will, it, uh, I think that's where I have to look at it from. Like how, yeah. how would we'll, you address it if you don't talk to them about their behavior? Sure. We'll get, we'll get into it and, and, and lay it out. And, and like I said, I, I may walk that back a little bit when we get in and start to talk about it, but, but my yeah. initial intake is, uh, or my initial sort of position is how can I, f- I want to fix this so that it works and my people are taken care of. And sure. I don't know that that means that I'm going to end up having a direct conversation with a client. And maybe it will, again, it depends on the specifics, but, yeah. but I would like to start off with, um, with some small fixes to get around the problem without having a massive intervention is, is sort of my thought. Got it. Okay. That makes, that makes more sense. I think, I think the other piece to the really the other big piece for me when it comes to the headspace, because um, most of my thoughts on this lean towards, well, how how do we address this and what do we do about it? Um, for me, the the last piece of of headspace is that this is a situation where the client is not always right, and I right. want my team to know and understand 
that I truly believe and have the mentality and I want them to have the mentality that the client isn't always right. right. There are going to be times where we draw a line in the sand and this can be can be one of those times. And at the same time, I want to lead by example and teach my team kind of the thought process that I put things through when I do make a judgment, particularly about firing a client, because that is often that is often the like bazooka weapon that the team reaches for, right? It's like this yeah. this client was this client made me feel uncomfortable or this situation I'm not okay with. And so the only answer is to reach for the bazooka and uh and fire the client, right? Like that's the he- it's the yeah. heavy gun. And I want I want to teach them and show them that there is nuance there. I want them to know that when it matters, um, when it is the line in the sand, I have no hesitation about discharging a client if they are being belligerent, if they are, um, you know, threatening the team, if they are being foul or using foul language. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, we've talked about that on the podcast before. Like, I want them to know these are situations where I have no reservations. And at the same time, um, I want them to kind of learn the fact that there is always more than one side to the story and that they have to view the shades of gray and really try and figure out what is the best course of action for everybody here. And so from a headspace perspective, I think them understanding that the client is not always right is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't always need to hit the fire switch. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's when I was sort of saying, you know, I don't know what sort of, I don't know what level of intervention we're going to need to have with a client. I guess that's that's what I'm kind of going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm 100% with you, just to, to be upfront. It, it, there's just, it's so dependent on exactly sort of what happened. You know what I mean? We're saying, when we say be creepy, you go, what does that mean? It, in my mind, it, I guess the last part of Headspace I want to put forward is to say, if your staff, uh, or someone on your staff comes forward and says, I can't, there's not an obvious thing that I can put forward, but I do not like this person. They did not make me feel safe. They, you know, they made mm-hmm. me feel uneasy. I don't see a scenario where you blow that off, you know, and say, oh, you know what? Just you, you're fine. Go back in there. Like, I, I, that just, to me, I don't know, as someone who sort of trusts their instincts, um, that's sort of a thing my mother always taught me is like, look, if you get a bad feeling about someone, you should listen to it. And I just, yeah. that's kind of ingrained in who I am. So the chances of me saying, oh, you know, I'm sure it's fine. That's that's not going to happen. I don't know that that means we're going to fire this person. You know, like, like yeah. that, that it's not A or B, you guys just suck it up and deal with it, or we're going to uh, terminate our relationship with this person, especially again with the, he... I can't point to anything, but he feels creepy. Uh, I I think that there's at least I would like to start somewhere in the middle and see see what we've got. And we may end up moving to termination if this continues. But um, but I'd like to start somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I do I do think it's super, super important to teach the team and lead by example they do need to trust their gut because the reality is in the medical field, and it's not just us in veterinary medicine, it's in human medicine as well. We are in positions um, that are vulnerable Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. We're in, um, you know, enclosed, confined spaces with strangers 
on a regular basis. A lot of times we're in the exam room by ourselves. Um, we have clinic environments where we have uh, clients in the building after dark, after hours, uh, limited staff. And so there are a lot of scenarios where the team could be at risk. And so it is very, very important to teach the team some self-awareness tactics and some um, observational tactics and teach them, look, that that gut instinct is there for a reason. It's the self-preservation tool from our caveman brain, right? Like that is important to listen to. And it's also important to filter that and and step back and take a look at it and see um, you know, where, where is this coming from and dig into it a little bit, not just go for that, that, you know, trigger of, okay, I feel uncomfortable now I'm going to fire them. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's like most things that we, that we talk about, there are things that we tried to do to help address these behaviors really early on before they become an mm-hmm. issue. And then there's, Hey, this is an issue. The whole team is creeped out by this guy. Yeah, yeah and, and he and he comes in regularly and everyone knows and everyone's had these experiences. Um, a lot of times if we tackle the behavior early on, then we might not get to that later mm-hmm. place. And again, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- that's what we hope with. All right, let's let's start. For me, there's um it's not the responsibility of our employee to protect themselves, defend themselves. That that's that's you know, stand up for that should not be the case. At, at the same time, I think one of the things that we should build into our culture is a feeling of empowerment by yeah. our staff that I'm not going to be abused and I am not going to be mistreated and my clinic will stand behind me. Uh, and and if I say I'm not going to be disrespected like this, uh, they will say, you're right. <laughs> She's not going to be disrespected. You know, like mm-hmm. we need to stand up for our people. And uh, and that applies here as well, meaning if someone says something to our staff and and they say I, I don't appreciate that comment and the client complains i'm not i'm not going to discipline the staff you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. she, you yeah. you made her feel uncomfortable and she told you so and that is that is what it is and if the client wants to leave at that point i'm fine with that you know like that yeah. that that is fine i think one of the things that make these situations bad is the idea that some vet professionals have that the client is right and that serving the client means allowing the client to treat us in a way that we do not like or that we're not comfortable with. And I think as a profession, I think we need to steadily move away from that. Uh, like I, mm-hmm. I'm just, I feel like, I feel like the world has gotten a bit uh, more gross in the last uh, decade sure. or two, and yeah. I people seem to be more comfortable uh, treating other people in a way that maybe they wouldn't have in the past. Uh, maybe common courtesy seems to kind of be breaking down. My personal belief is that veterinary professionals should get a bit more direct about how we want to be respected, and that we're going to be respected. And that doesn't mean abusing that and going you know over the top with it. But mm-hmm. I just. I, I don't know, man. I'm just done with the days of people come in and, you know, treat us like crap and we think we're supposed to take it. Like, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's a cultural shift that veterinary medicine as a whole is, is going through, right? Mm-hmm. Like in so many ways, when it comes to setting boundaries, we are shifting and changing. The, the landscape is shifting and changing right under our feet. Like when I started in veterinary medicine, the idea that we would be having a conversation that the client isn't always right is something I wouldn't have ever fathomed because that was yeah. just not that was just not true. It was 
old school, um, older generation of veterinarians, heavily male dominated fields. And it was, you just shut your mouth and the client is right. And you take care of all the clients that walk in the door, no matter what, because that's how we keep the business afloat. And the reality is that the environment has shifted to, you know, 10 times over since then. And, um, things have changed dramatically and there are a lot of things that have hung on. And I think it's really good that we're starting to have conversations like this in, in our field and and in other fields about awareness when it comes to, um, inappropriate and, and uncomfortable behavior. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. And again, I'm not trying to put that responsibility on the employees and say, well, you should have just told him this. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel like that's on them. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I think it's good that they're empowered that if they feel that they should speak up, then they should speak up, you know, and say, yes. uh, I'm sorry, I, do, I don't appreciate that. Or I'm sorry, what you just said to me is not appropriate. Or please yeah. do not touch me. Uh, you know, like that, just say, please, and just, and say mm-hmm. it. And again, mm-hmm. I know I'm saying this as, uh, you know, as a man <laughs> saying, well, you should just say this again. I don't think this is a responsibility of the employees, but I think that our practices should hundred percent stand behind our employees. If they say, I'm not okay with this. And I'm just going to tell mm-hmm. you to your face, uh, please don't do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we want to take a quick break before we dive into the practical, like, how do we, how do we teach this to our teams? How do we address this? Yep, absolutely. Hey, everybody. I just want to jump in with a quick update of awesome stuff that is going on. On June 23rd, over at the Uncharted Veterinary Community, we are doing Level Up Your Practice photos of Melanie Kramer, who is the editorial director at DrAndyRourke.com and previously a photojournalist working with uh, outlets, including the New York Times. She is amazing. She's talking about better practice photographs. This is a two-session course, June 23rd and July 7th. It is free to Uncharted members. It is $99 to the public. Uh, on August 14th, the one and only Sanani Ratnayaka is going to be teaching the secret sauce to optimizing workflow. If you're like, I feel like we could be more efficient in our practice. Sanani's got a half-day workshop on August 14th, also free for Uncharted members. It is $199 for the public. I will put the links to both of those down below over on the Dr. Andy Rourke website. Guys, I have got something brand new. It drops tomorrow. It is my Charming the Angry Client on-demand course. It is a course that I have made that uh, is for vet teams. You can do it. uh, It's honestly designed to be done uh, together in groups. You can break out and have just smaller groups work with this course. It is made to be modular so that you can tag on and do 10 minutes of of conflict resolution work at the end of your staff meeting. You can sit down, you can do a whole hour. I've got train the trainer resources in there where I walk through the person who's gonna be running the meeting of best ways to get interaction and engagement and draw people into what you're doing. I've got a ton of angry client example videos so you can check out, hey, this person's really angry. What are we gonna say to this person? And it's just that type of mind uh, firing up, expanding, a real skill building training. Guys, I've been working on this for years and I'm dropping it tomorrow. Uh, head over to DrAndyWork.com on June the 10th and you will see how to get involved in the action. So anyway, that is going to be coming out. I am really excited about it. I really hope you guys love it. I really hope it makes a difference and I really like how flexible it is. So it's gonna work in your practice. That's enough of that. Let's get back into this episode. All right, let's talk a bit about, let's talk about the practice, right? Let, let's talk about what our practice can do when this happens. We have a technician, let's just say, that comes and says, hey, 
this guy is coming in and I'm supposed to be, I, you know, they're going to see the doctor that I'm working with and I'm going to end up in the room with this guy. I don't like him. Like he, he, he creeps me out. He hasn't done anything. I think he's trying to flirt with me. Um, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about what our options are at, at the practice level. Like what do we, what do we do when this happens? Yeah. So I think, I think for me, um, it starts before that actually happens. It's funny because, uh, when we're recording this episode, I'm, uh, doing a workshop for uncharted on, on boarding and part of the onboarding process, um, that gets left out a lot in veterinary medicine is some of the legal ground and territory that bigger businesses follow. Right. And so I've, uh, worked in jobs that have been big corporation jobs. And I've also worked in government jobs and every other job that I've had outside of veterinary medicine. I've had some sort of basic harassment training as part of my onboarding process. And I think that that's something that we leave out um, a lot in veterinary medicine. And so for me, I I would say where, where I would want to start is winding the tape back to before we actually get ourselves in hot water. And I have thoughts on how do we deal with it once we're there. But um, I think something that we can do as an industry is start to do a better job of teaching our team about things like this. So for me, it's about talking about inappropriate behavior and language and teaching the team to recognize what is inappropriate behavior. And the reality is that inappropriate behavior is any time that someone's actions or conversations make someone else feel uncomfortable, full stop. So if you say something to me, Andy, that I just blow off and you say the same thing to our teammate, Jamie, and it makes her feel uncomfortable her experience of discomfort is not invalidated by the fact that I blew it off and thought not didn't think twice about it, right? Like the reality is that's her experience and we need to respect that. And so for me, it's about teaching the team what is inappropriate behavior because we know, and this is where I can get a little soapboxy and nerdy because of uh, my background in in uh, assault prevention, like we know that people who are predators often test the waters in terms of making inappropriate jokes or mild comments because they're trying to gauge response. And so people who are practicing predatory behaviors with our teammates, that they're no different. So they're going to say something casually like, oh, hey, beautiful, you, you look amazing today, right? That's super mild and could be considered completely, um, you know, non threatening. They're doing that to test the waters with our team member potentially to see how they're going to react to it. Because if they dismiss it, they have uh, are much more likely to continue the behavior because nothing has been said. If you make a comment like that and um, someone stops you and tells you right off the bat, I, I appreciate that. It makes me feel very uncomfortable when you um, say that to me, I would really appreciate if you just not refer to me that way in the future, right? Those two things are are very, very different. And yeah. so for me, it starts with the education of our team about what does is, what is an appropriate behavior look like? What does harassment look like? And doing a better job of educating the team as a whole, because we can't have a complaint process, an investigation process None of that exists if the team doesn't know what to be aware of. Yeah, that's such a great point for for setting the basics down. I no, I really like that, and it's, and it's a it's an excellent point about um about our profession too. I think um I think uh, the sort of the uh, the stereotype has been well, we're, we're all women. 
Uh, so why do we have sexual harassment training? And that, and that, I mean, that is that is literally kind of the jokey answer that people had. It's like, look, if there was a man here, uh, then maybe we would do this. But it's just us. Uh, and if, of course, that's uh, that's not correct. But it is it is literally I think I do think that's part of why. You say, oh, we don't do this again. I think people have in their minds that things like sexual harassment training, those are things for big companies. Mm-hmm. that have a lot of people that aren't like us because we're like a family. You know, right. and I think that those yeah. are, and again, it, I, it comes from our veterinary culture, which is sort of the, you know, the happy, kind people, family business uh-huh. culture. Uh, and it's, I, I think I think you're exactly right. And I think that this is part of the evolution that we're currently going through. Yeah. And I think your point is totally true. I know I experienced that myself. Um, in the practice just in this last year, um, you know, we had an all-female team. All my vets were female, my whole team, every single one female. We had one male relief vet who would work with us on a regular basis, but we hired a, a dude CSR for a while. And when we were getting ready for him to join the team and onboard, I actually had to stop and think about, oh man, some of the conversations we have, some of the things that happen in the treatment room are completely inappropriate if yeah. we are in mixed company. And so it was a conversation with the team as a whole, like, hey, guys, I know that this has been cut fine for us and it may be fine for him as well, but we don't know him. And so until we get to know him and we know what his boundaries are and where he's comfortable, like the conversation about it's that time of the month in the treatment room needs to probably stop. And we need to not be, uh, you know, whipping off our, our scrub tops and changing clothes without going into the bathroom. Like the things that happen when you are in um, the same gender company, um, those are those are things that we have to think about when we are in an environment where we have uh, different members of different uh, sex on the team. And so that is definitely something that is, we don't think about a lot. And I think your point is, is really valid because we, we are so heavily female dominated, um, as a, as an industry. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the part of the transition that is different, but, but sort of related and sort of in the evolution that we're actively seeing in vet medicine right now, um, I think our safety of our employees is also growing up. You know, I think we're going through a period, um, you know, people, doctors driving around with a bottle of morphine rolling around in the floorboard of the truck. uh, And these days are are, thankfully they're over, you know, but they were real for a long time. (laughs) And there are still some people who are holding on, you know, and um, and you go, oh, buddy, that's a that's a controlled uh, opioid that the DEA is real serious about right now. Um, Absolutely. That so so things when I say safety of employees, yeah, I'm talking about about drug restriction things like that. We know that vet clinics get broken into uh, commonly for people looking for prescription opioids and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to be securing our drugs, but we also need to be securing our buildings. Uh, we need to have good lighting. We need to be having cameras. We need to have a tapped in safe building. So especially and especially if we have our workforce, which, as we both said, honestly, statistically speaking, 
generally made up of young women, uh, we need to have a safe place to go. And it's, if they're going to be alone, then we need to decide if that's okay. Uh, we need to potentially staff. So there's always two people here. We need to make yeah. sure that they know what protocols are. You know, we need to make sure that, that we are taking care of our people, not just because of what we're talking about today with a creepy client in the room, but that's at the low end of the spectrum of things that we need to be thinking about of having a safe workplace. And so our people should feel physically safe mm -hmm. at our building. And if they don't, we need to fix that. Yeah, it's it's funny because there are some of the things that we're, we're going to talk about here in terms of practical solutions for making the team feel safe with, with clients that I have used for a really, really long time. And a lot of the things when I was brainstorming uh, for this list, I thought of and thought it really wasn't until the last few years, I made a visit to um, a fellow Uncharted members practice. Our, our friend Mike Falconer has a big practice in um, the outskirts of Las Vegas. And I went and visited and they have some protocols in place that when I saw them made absolute perfect sense. And I hadn't, I would never have thought of them until I saw them. And I was like, duh, this makes perfect sense. And, and it was commonplace for them because they're, they're in Las Vegas, right? They're in a big city. There's um, more people, there's higher crime rate. And for me in a tiny, tiny, small town, um, I hadn't thought about those things, but it still exists at right. And so just because mm -hmm. I live in a small town that is generally fairly safe does not, um, dismiss the responsibility for me as a practice leader to put protocols and processes in place to keep the team safe in the work environment because that is that is my job according to OSHA mm -hmm. amongst other uh you know governing agencies that's my job is to make them feel safe yeah i agree um so mike falker uh is fantastic and he runs a fantastic hospital uh in that vein, one of the things, and this sort of goes along with the safety, and people don't necessarily think of it as a safety thing, uh, but I'll put for one of the things that I know that he and his hospital do. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of cameras in the rooms, uh, in yes. exam rooms. And as the cost of medicine goes up, um, yes. the you know, and especially, yeah, as the cost of medicine goes up and we're having money conversations and also just during the COVID pandemic, people have been out, but boy, the behavior of clients in the last year, and I know it's a lot of external COVID stress, but I think as an industry stereotyping, we've seen a deterioration in client behavior. It's time, guys. It's time to have cameras in the rooms. And honestly, if you have cameras with microphones, uh, then you... Uh, then you can capture some of these conversations. I I fully suspect, and I don't have data to back this up, I fully suspect that people who will say inappropriate things are less likely to say inappropriate things in a room where they think or uh, that they're being that they're being recorded. And, and also, if they do say inappropriate things, then I can go back and say, we reviewed the tapes of your recent visit and you said these things and they are not yep. appropriate and we will not be providing services to you anymore. And it's not hey, this guy made me feel creepy. Or even if, if yeah. the technician comes in and says, hey, this guy was creepy and made me uncomfortable, I'm pulling that tape, you know? Yeah. I was like, well, let's have a look at this and see what's the what, you know? Yeah. And and I'm not doing it to decide if she's right or not because how she feels is how she feels, that's important. But I want to look and if I go, you're damn right, that's creepy, they should not say that, you know? Um, I, I want to see that. And so mm -hmm. those are the types of things. And oftentimes when we put up cameras, the the team is like oh you're spying on us and i go no this is this is a safety precaution and like mm -hmm. i've had 
again, I don't want to scare people. I don't want just to go to a negative place. Man, I've had clients bust into the back of the uh, of the hospital before, and uh, we've had stuff go bad with patients that mm -hmm. um, that we ended up, you know, talking to lawyers about, you know, and, mm -hmm. and basically like, look, this is us restraining the pet. We did not do anything wrong. This is not what happened. This what's mm -hmm. being told is not accurate, uh, and yeah. we ha and we have video footage to protect ourselves. And thank God. Yeah. Well, and I think so for so many um, practice leaders, when we start to talk about um, cameras, the first the first place that a lot of people jump to is, well, you know, we can't record people without their consent and we can't, you know, there's laws and regulations. And that is true. We have to follow mm -hmm. the laws right. and regulations and it is different at the state level. And so part of this is you have to do your job and you have to do some research. And that requires figuring out what can you do legally in your state. Um, and then the other big piece that's often a concern for vet practices is the expense, right? Because we're not a big business. And so right. for a lot of us, we don't have it built into our budget. Um, now's the time to start because costs have come down. Um, it is no longer, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to put in a security system in our in our business, it can often be done for $10,000 or less. And for me, the peace of mind of can I have a security system where I can see my team, where I can hear what's happening, where, um, just as you said, we have the ability to, to protect the team and prove our case, um, if, if need be, that is invaluable. And so um, when we think about, you know, how do we, how do we pay for that? There's, a million different ways, but we can't stop the conversation because we are afraid of laws and regulations or we are afraid of cost. We have to do our due diligence as leaders in our practice and look at that as a viable solution because really in this day and age, there's there's no reason why. And and maybe maybe out um, you know, maybe from the start, you can't afford the hardwired security, you know, the system that goes to your security company and you're paying for it on a monthly basis. You can get Wi-Fi cameras for, you know, less than a hundred bucks yeah. camera and, I, and <laughs> put them up. Yeah. Depend, depending, depending you know? on, on what your needs are, uh, what's available just to consumers is yes. bonkers. And it yes. is every year you're talking about an area that's developing fast. I mean, everyone's oh, now yeah. familiar with the ring systems yeah. where you can see who's ringing your doorbell and you can talk to them. And then yeah. uh, Amazon owns a company called Blink that's like mm -hmm. home security stuff and they are motion activated care. And like, God, the cost of these things is ridiculous. I think I paid like a hundred bucks for three mm -hmm. of these cameras and they're yeah. amazing, you know, and you just go, this is insane. So yeah, the technology is just, is coming up so fast, but, but okay. So takeaway points on this, um, you and I are both in agreement that where possible, these types of, uh, you know, recording things to protect your, your staff and to document yes. what's going on is just good safety and it's good for liability and it's good mm -hmm. for exactly what we're talking about with client behaviors so that we can terminate and, and be clear about what's happening. Uh, we are responsible for figuring out what our state allows and, and you and I, if it sounds like we're wishy-washy, that's because these states vary widely yes. in what is yep. required and what is possible. Uh, and then the last part is the cost, which means you're going to have to look and, and get a system that, that works well for you. But they do run the gamut from, I mean, honestly, just having just having basic consumer 
you know, I want to watch what's going on. Uh, and that, that can be super cheap all the way up to, we have a company that monitors and, you know, stores for us for an X amount of time and all those things. So you can get as, as big as you want, but, um, there, your options are increasing quickly. And in that same vein, like one of the things that I will say has changed in veterinary medicine when I started, um, and I was still working as a technician, I did relief work at a um, big hybrid specialty ER um, practice nearby. And they had, um, they had like panic buttons and, um, you know, so that if something was happening, you could push the button and it would set off the alarm. And I never, at that time, I never would have fathomed that kind of setup or technology for a GP, right? Like I think about it in the ER context, they're, they're open late, they're open overnight, they're often working by themselves, they're, they're isolated, they need to protect themselves. It never would have occurred to me. The reality is our team is no less vulnerable in certain situations and we should think about those safety measures and we can take a page from our colleagues' books and say, this is smart. This this makes sense. We need to teach the team how to be aware of their surroundings and mm. how to call for how to call for help if they if they need it. And so having the conversation about all of these things with your team is the first place to start. And your long-term plan might include, you know, your 5-year plan might include getting a you know, $20,000 security system or putting in panic button mm. um, you know, alarms in your rooms. It's okay that that's a long-term solution. It, you you just have to start with a single step, and that single step can be talk to the team about the surroundings. You know, like when we at night in the winter, do we make sure that the floodlights are on outside before we walk out to our cars in the parking lot? Yeah, we're only walking two hundred feet, but I want you guys to be safe. So you should have a buddy, and having those kind of conversations and opening their eyes to the kind of um, you know safety measures that really should start to become more commonplace in our industry. Right. I agree. Talk to me a little bit about bystander interventions, intervention training. Yeah. So, um, that was on, that was on my list because that is the concept of see something, say something. And so, um, when we think about teaching our team to particularly to deal with, um, these behaviors that could be viewed as we talked about in the beginning, you know, through my lens, I might be fine with it through, um, somebody else on the team's lens, they're absolutely not okay with it. And so um, bystander intervention is, look, if you see something that makes you uncomfortable, say something about it. Even if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, if someone else looks uncomfortable or seems like they might be uncomfortable, say something. And it is absolutely okay to ask a team member, hey, are you, are you okay? Because I heard what he said to you and I just want to make sure that, that you're okay. It's as simple as it's as simple as that because it allows your team to harness the collective power of being able to filter situations like this through a collective lens instead of just through one person's lens to decide, yes, that made me uncomfortable or no, it didn't. It might not have made me uncomfortable, but if somebody else on the team is uncomfortable because they wouldn't want to be called sweetheart or they wouldn't want somebody to say, hey, you know, hey, beautiful, how's your day going? I want that to be respected. And so that's another really easy, simple tool that we can look at starting conversations with our team about. Look, you guys, if this makes you uncomfortable, say something. Don't don't stay don't stay quiet about it. I, you know, I remember when I very first 
started in veterinary medicine and I worked in a clinic and I had the, the, the kind of boss that taught me everything I didn't want to do in veterinary medicine in the future. And, um, one day I watched him literally throw surgical instruments with another team member nearby. And she was just like, it's fine. And she blew it off. And I, I didn't say something. And that stuck with me for a really long time because it made me, I had a visceral reaction to it. It made Mm -hmm. me so uncomfortable. And I thought I would walk my ass out the front door if he had done that. And I had been the person in the room, but she Mm -hmm. totally blew it off and I didn't say anything. And, um, you know, I, I use that as an example for myself to teach my team, like, look, it doesn't have to make me uncomfortable for you to be able to say, I'm uncomfortable with this. And this topic is a perfect example of where that comes in into play. Yeah, I I, know. I completely agree with that. You know, I want to circle back to what I said earlier when I said, you know, um, we're talking about someone who who makes makes me feel creepy or, you know, who who feels creepy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not pointing to something directly that they did. You know, Mm -hmm. there are some there are some situations where I just don't like this person or he reacts to me in a way that he does not react to other people and things like that. I want to be clear about what, what I'm saying as far as continuing to sort of work with this client uh, before I talk about making some logistical changes to sort of service this situation. You know, number one, what I do not want to have is to have you, Stephanie Goss, say to me, I don't like this guy. I don't, he said something inappropriate to me and I don't like it. And me to go, you know what? I'm going to take you out of there. I'm going to put someone else in there and they can deal with this crap. Right. You know, or I'm going to put someone else into this right. position. Yeah. If the behavior is not acceptable, the behavior is not acceptable. If the behavior is something that you go, he just makes me feel weird or he flirts and I don't like it. You know, um, if it's something like that, then I would start to look uh, at logistical changes. And remember, this is a trial and I'm going to watch this really closely. So let me just say, but potential uh, changes that we make is this may be someone who gets seen by a male doctor instead of a female doctor. And I've had I've had other veterinarians okay. say, this guy makes me uncomfortable. And I said, I'll go see that appointment. Uh, right. And they said, great. And I said, you can go see the one that I have scheduled at that time. And we'll just <laughs> we'll just trade appointments and you can go right. see this one. And I'll go see that one. And that person does not make me feel creepy. Uh, but you know, because I'm a man probably and, uh, and not a beautiful woman like her, you know, um, right. That's, that, that's, that's fine. If you can work those situations around, you know, if this may be someone who does not see a single technician, a solo technician, this may be two technicians, you know, go into this room and we just say, there's going to be two people working with this guy and it's the buddy system. And it's, uh, for, uh, deterrence of inappropriate comments, but then also to have a second set of eyes there to go, yes, this is what he said. And, right. you know, say, I, I had two people say that this is what happened and there were two people in that room and we're not going to be able to work with you anymore. Um, but those, those are some minor logistical changes. And again, in my mind, and I've seen these guys, we've all seen these people. I don't, again, I'm sure it probably depends on where you are. Most clinics do not have a lot of these people. There is the occasional client Mm -hmm. that makes you feel creepy. This should not be an everyday thing. This should be, we have a client who blank. And so, yeah, this is at some point, again, when it hasn't reached an obvious firing level, um, there's nothing that's documentable. And you say, we're going to continue to work with this guy. I'm still going to make some basic changes to keep my people safe and to uh, help subtly bring his uh, his behaviors back into the sunshine. And and mm-hmm. oftentimes in my experience, that's that's all that it takes. And again, 
if we make a change like this and then he makes those people feel uncomfortable now we've got now we've got something where you say i'm not going to keep doing this uh we're, we're going to make changes but often i have found that we if we change the change the situation around uh add another person things like that these situations go away and go okay well this person is not going to have access to our people in a way that he's going to make them feel creepy but we're going to continue to service his pets as we have been well and i think for me that's that's um part of the step two process which is the investigation process so mm-hmm. like for me step one is we have to teach the team about what is inappropriate and talk about what makes them uncomfortable and then step two is when something has happened there has to be a, an investigative process right we have to we have to figure it out because there is always more there's always at least two sides to every story and the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle and so it's about talking to that person but it may be well i don't know so your suggestions of well let's have a a male vet swap in and see if the same kind of thing happens again or um, see if they make you know somebody else feel uncomfortable or put the buddy system into play and let's see let's see what happens that can absolutely be a part of that investigative process particularly if it seems like an isolated incident like it's come kind of come out of nowhere and there hasn't mm. been any preview to this kind of behavior and and as a manager, our role is to come up with a plan and figure mm-hmm. out how to handle it. And a lot of times if I don't see it and if I don't have a good descriptor, like if I'm talking to a team member who's like, can't put my finger on it. He just make he, I, I, he's creepy and he mm-hmm. makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't know what it is. Then for me, part of the investigation process is how do I ensure their safety mm-hmm. and do some investigating and figure out what exactly is going on so that I can address it to your point earlier about you don't know um, whether you talk to the the client about their behaviors or not. Like I'm absolutely not going to talk to them if I don't know what the behavior is. Right. right. But if, if I can watch videotape or if I can send another team member into the room and that team member can come back and tell me this is exactly what he said and how he said it is what made us feel so uncomfortable, the tone or the, um, you know, this, the, the body language or the way that he's, you know, stared at my chest instead of talking to me and looking in my face. Like those are concrete things, right? That then I could turn around and I could feel good about having a conversation directly with that client. Even if I didn't observe the behaviors myself without those specifics, it would be a lot more challenging to potentially have that conversation with the client. So the, the second part is the investigation process for me and trying to figure out what is actually happening and then formulate a plan for how do I tackle this, but also how do how do I want the team to respond to this as well? Because it should not be their job to solve the problem. They shouldn't yes. have to protect themselves. I Correct. should be able to come up with a plan and tell them this is the plan and this is going to be the consequences if these behaviors don't change in the future. Yes, I agree. No, that that totally makes sense. The last thing that I will say is that um don't don't forget the value and this seems like making a giant leap from semi innocent behavior to not. But a lot of times I think we put the burden on ourselves to deal with our problems ourselves and I know that I personally have gone toe to toe with some clients um, physically trying to intimidate me or the team where I probably should have backed away and just called the cops. 
and I put myself into that situation and I, and I shouldn't have, and I, and I um, don't want my team to. And one of the things that we can't let ourselves forget is that we are, we are a business. And if someone is, um, doing things that are inappropriate or violating the safety of your business, you have absolutely every right to ask them to leave. And sometimes it just takes that visual cue of a badge or uniform. Um, You know, we're not a big business. We don't have security teams that are, for a lot of us, are patrolling our clinics. I have friends' clinics in big cities who are open 24 hours who do. Most of us in Mm -hmm. small general practice don't have that luxury. And so um, I, one of the first things that I teach my team is if you don't feel safe, you absolutely, my expectation is that you will pick up the phone and you will call the police because nobody should right. put themselves into harm's way, um, when they don't have to. Right. No, I think I, that is a big jump from this, <laughs> this client. It's just creepy to call the police, but, but important, imp- very important point. And I also just, I like the fact, you know, at the very beginning, I, we started off and I said, I think we we need to build a culture where people feel empowered to mm-hmm. say this is not okay, mm-hmm. and I think that that culture comes from having conversations with them about when in doubt. I want you to call nine one one. I want you, you know, yeah. I want you to do that. I want you to call the police because you're not. You should not have to deal with this, and this is not what what you're here for. And right. I think that that conversations and trainings like that do radiate down to the personal level where they feel like. I'm not beholden to this client. I, you know, I am, I do have the power to, 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 I, they're going to back me up if I say to yes. this person, I don't like how you're talking to me right now. Um, or yes. I'm not going to be able to help you unless you lower your voice and stop yelling. And and they, yes. they should feel that level of empowerment for sure. And thank you for connecting that doc. Cause that was exactly what I meant. Like if we have those big, scary conversations, it's the same as with firing clients. If the, if the team knows that when it needs to be done, I have no hesitation when it comes to client firing the clients, they're going to feel more comfortable and confident having those smaller level conversations with me or with a member of my leadership team. And it's the same here. If they know that their safety is the utmost importance to me, they are going to feel more comfortable and confident talking about those smaller things that we might brush off. And if we brush them off too many times, then something could happen that we don't want to have happen. And so that it's those low stakes conversations that matter the most. And a lot of times we don't start having those conversations until we get the big scary stuff out in the open. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Steph, thanks for talking this through with me. I think this is really good stuff. I think we've got a lot of sort of groundwork to lay as we often do for keeping our people safe and sort of setting a culture and a tone to deal with this. Uh, Hopefully there's some good tips if anybody's dealing with this. Uh, just some some things to think about uh, about how we might approach it going forward. But overall, um, this is just a good, healthy uh, type of conversation to have in practice. These are those trainings that never make the list, and they should. You know, when we have our priorities of what are we going to have a staff meeting on, we a lot of times we don't do this, and we don't do it because mm-hmm. we don't think it's a big enough problem, or we don't think it happens in practices like ours, or we just think it's really awkward and we don't exactly know what to say. And so I hope that this yes. podcast can kind of give people a substrate upon which to chew if they uh, want to talk to their team. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Have a great week, guys. Yeah, everybody. Take care. Uh, enjoy your late spring, early summer. Well, guys. Thanks for joining us again this week. I really had fun 
digging into this episode. And like I said, at the very beginning, this was a soapbox one for me. So I am super looking forward to hearing what conversations come out of this with your team and how you guys start to talk more about being aware of what behavior is acceptable and unacceptable from your clients. If there is a topic like this that you would love to talk about with us on the podcast, you can always find us and we love hearing from you. You can find the mailbag at unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag and send us your suggestions or questions, things you want to hear us talk about on the podcast. We love hearing from you guys. So that's it from us. Have a fantastic week, gang, and we will see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Have a great one, guys.